If you're not a Christian and you're here today, I'm going to start, <laughs> I'll start from scratch. Psalms, center of the Bible, open it up, chapter 1, verse 1. Should I read it again? Let's read it again. I apologize. We don't have monitors, so I, I can't tell. And the sprouts can be dismissed if they have not been dismissed yet. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now that that everybody heard that scripture read, respond with a corporate amen. Let's go to God and ask for, uh, for wisdom as we dive into this verse this morning. Lord, we do thank you for our opportunity that we have to gather today, to come here into this room and to make much of you. And God, as we have sang these songs, as we have spent time in personal confession, as we've worshipped you through listening to a poem read, as we now dive into the scriptures, we ask that our, our mind is focused on you, that our eyes are focused on your face, and that we uh, are able to remove ourselves from the, the distractions in life that seek to pull us away, to pull our hearts away from what you might have for us this morning. As we dive into this psalm, I ask that you open our eyes, open our hearts. God, give me a special grace as I seek to communicate what, uh, the, the truth that we see here in this, in this psalm. And I pray that your spirit does the work in our hearts that I cannot do for anyone else, and that is spiritual change, conversion for the lost, encouragement for the discouraged, and God, I pray that you will use this to grow your church. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. What do you have in common with your ancestors? What do you have in common with your grandparents? We'll start there. Then let's move it back. What do you have in common with your great-grandparents? What do you have in common with your great-great-grandparents? What do you have in common with every ancestor that's ever come before you in your family line? Let's back it up. What do you have in common with the ancients? All of those people that lived way back then. What do you have in common with them? Anything? What do the ancients have in common with, say, the first century Romans? What do the Romans have in in common with, say, the ninth century English? And what do they have in common with the Africans? And what do they have in common with modern America? And what does all in modern America have in common with one another? What do... We who live in the neighborhoods of West Baltimore have in common with those from rural, the rural Midwest. And what does the rural Midwest have in common with those on Wall Street? So, what does every man and woman have in common with every other man and woman? And I want to submit it's this. A desire for happiness. A desire for happiness. We want to be happy. This insatiable craving appetite for happiness, for joy, 
for satisfaction in life. It's what every mind-altering substance promises, right? It's what every commercial that you see on TV promises. We just, last week, finally had an, we, we went out and bought an antenna so we could watch the Ravens game last week. We are old school, kicking it back to an antenna. And uh, I'm watching commercials again for the first time in years. It's amazing how they promise happiness. I mean, that's at the core of all of this stuff. Why do you want to buy this thing? This... It's because it's going to make you happy. Are you tired of cutting up your vegetables with a knife? What you need is this brand new Cadillac 1000 horsepower blender emulsifier that will turn concrete into a smoothie in 0.05 seconds. Amen? Amen. It's not only going to make your tummy happy, it's going to make your family happy. And we watch that commercial and we're like, yes, that's it. That's why my family's not happy. It's because we're still cutting up our vegetables. We need something that'll turn concrete into a smoothie. That'll make us happy, right? And we buy it. And then we realize it didn't actually uh, make us happy. Ever since Adam and Eve were created, humans have desired happiness. Now, God has created us. Listen to this. God has intentionally created us with an intrinsic desire for happiness and for joy. With Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden, gave them fruit for their enjoyment, for them to eat. Adam was alone, so he created Eve to give to Adam for his enjoyment and for her enjoyment. God walked with them in the garden. Now, I don't think we take morning strolls through a garden if we're not looking to have a good time. God created us for, for, for pleasure, for enjoyment, for happiness, to enjoy life and primarily to walk with Him and enjoy Him in the midst of the garden. We are created then, we are created with happiness. We are created with this desire, this, this craving, if if you are a human here, you want to be happy. Nobody, nobody wants to be miserable. Humans abhor sadness, misery. We don't want to be miserable. We want to be happy. This is, this is what guides our actions in life. This is why many Get married. I'm going to marry this girl because she makes me happy. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till unhappiness do we part. As long as you're still making me happy. This is why many have children. Now, children are a very good thing. But what if children become your, the, the, the thing 
that you look for, look toward for satisfaction. What happens when they grow up? This is what drives our decisions in life. This is what drives men and women to mind-altering substances for a temporary relief and temporary happiness and childlike joy. It's what drives us to get a better job. It's what drives us to save money for retirement so we can be happy when we're old, right? Now, let me ask you this. If, if happiness is the grand object, say, of, of our actions, so we do this action, we pursue this thing because we think that it's going to make us happy. And if all of humans... Are, are, are doing that. Let's say Ameri- let's just Americans. If Americans have, have happiness as a goal in their lives, which I think we can all probably agree with to, to some degree, why is it that a recent survey indicated that only 20% of Americans are happy, call themselves happy? 20%? Does that mean 80% of us are failures? I mean, if seriously, if we all crave happiness, and if happiness and joy is what we have in common with everybody in this room and in this neighborhood and in this city and in this world and in history, and only 20% of us call ourselves happy, something's amiss. Is it possible to be happy? Is it possible to, possible to go through life, through the ups and through the downs of life, through the winds, through the storms, and remain happy? Or is everything fading? So, so depraved and so desolate is the human heart that we crave happiness and joy, yet we continually search for it in things where it cannot be found in temporal fading realities. Even good things, even good things. If, if I do this, which is a very good, if I get married or if I have a child, then I will finally be happy and I'll be satisfied in life. And then we do these things and we still feel the same way. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel joy. I don't feel happy. And then we start to think like Solomon in Ecclesiastes. I mean, isn't this the message of Ecclesiastes? Everything is fading. Everything is empty. Everything is hollow. I've had, I mean, Solomon is someone who's had it all, all right? You want to talk about riches? He's had. You want to talk about women? He's had them. You, everything. Solomon has had everything you can imagine, and he got to the end of it, and he saw through it, and he said, "There's nothing there. There's actually no happiness. <laughs> there is no happiness." He said, "In this world." So where does that leave us at the end of the day? Where does that leave us when we realize that at the end? There seems to be only emptiness. Now, I want you to take heart this morning. God has told us how to be happy. God didn't create us with a desire 
for something that he will not fulfill. And what we find here in the pages of the scriptures is more profound than anything you can find in the pages of philosophy. Have you guys ever tried to read philosophy? I kind of went through this philosophy phase a couple years back. I still like to read, try to read philosophy, but it's very difficult. Actually, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a, a uh, pastor in England in the uh, 50s, 40s. He said, um, uh, he said, I've tried to read philosophy, but it's too difficult for me. But what you find in the scriptures is something very simple. What you find in the scriptures is something that the philosophers can't capture. And it's very simple. You see, the Bible is this most profound book. It's, it's, it has more life-changing, profound truth than any philosopher could ever come up with. Philosophers have written volumes on the meaning of happiness and how to be happy. And we read through these and we're left with not a whole lot. But the scriptures come to this with such simple terms. And what we find in Psalm 1, and this is what we're going to find as we go through this series. We're going to be in here for about five weeks or so in Psalm 1. What we find in Psalm 1 is a picture or a glimpse of all of the Psalms. I think this is the reason it's, it's number one. But it's also a glimpse of the entire pages of the scriptures. And it shows us the simplicity of the truth that we find in the scriptures. And that is this. This is the message of the scriptures. There are two ways. There are only two ways. The way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly. There are two ways. The Didache, which is the earliest writing of the, the earliest non-inspired writing of the Christian church. They start out the Didache, it's a worship manual. They start out by saying, there are two ways to live. The way of life and the way of death. Where do they get that from? It's from the Bible. This is the message of the scriptures. You have two options in life. You have two ways to live your life. You have the way of Life, the way of righteousness, and you have the way of sin, or the way of death. It's found through the pages of the scriptures. You have the way of Esau, or the way of Jacob. You have the way of Noah, or the way of Noah's peers. You have the way of David. You have the way of Saul. You have the way of Christ, or you have the way of the world. You have the way of the gospel, or you have the way of the death, and we could go on back and forth. There are two options. There are two ways of living. There are two ways to see the world. And that's it. It's that simple. And the one way, the way of the unrighteous, the way of the ungodly, is like chaff. It's there, but just wait for a strong wind to come along, and it's gone. It's blown by every wind, by every doctrine, by every fad, by every thought, by every idea. It's blown back and forth like chaff, and it will not withstand the final wind of judgment. 
or the other way, and that is the way of the tree. Rooted, strong. You can take winds, you can take storms, and you will withstand. And by the way, the way of the tree is the way of happiness. True happiness. Lasting, real, eternal joy. So with that said, I want to turn your attention back to the text. And I think you have an idea of where we're going to be going here. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read it again. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Now notice it doesn't say, Blessed is the man who pursues blessedness. Happy is the man who pursues happiness. It doesn't say that. That's a foreign concept here. The idea of pursuing blessedness, blessings, as an end in and of themselves is foreign to the pages of Scripture. The idea of pursuing happiness as an end to itself is foreign to Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. It does not say, blessed or happy is the man who pursues happiness. Listen, you cannot pursue happiness as an end in and of itself. A friend of mine was reading a book by a philosopher from the 1950s as well. And it was called How to Be Happy. And I was thinking, man, I I didn't verbalize this, but I was like, I don't know if you're going to find it there. I mean, we can talk all we want about how to be happy, how to make, you know, how how do I wake up every day and become a happier person? How do I live every day like it counts, like it matters? And, And we can come up with lists of, and steps of how to be a happier person. And in the end, it will always fail because happiness is our goal there. And with happiness or joy as your goal, you will never find it. It's like bubbles. Remember bubbles? Bubbles? My kids love those things. Amen. I stand on the stoop sometimes and I dip it and I blow it and bubbles all over the place. You know what they do when they see them? They're like this. Ah. It's like just bubbles. And then what do they do? As they're coming down, what do they try to do with their hands? Try to catch them, right? Like, ah, ah. They're trying to catch the bubbles. Now what happens if you catch a bubble? For anybody that's like experienced in bubble blowing, what happens when you catch a bubble? It pops. And every time my daughters look at me as if I did something wrong. (laughs) Do it again. Give me some bubbles that won't pop. Look, pursuing happiness as a goal, as an end in and of itself, is like trying to catch bubbles. And as soon as you think you have it, as soon as it's there in your hands and you can see it and enjoy it, it pops, it's gone. And you know what we do? We look to the Father as if He did something wrong and we say, send us some more bubbles. 
Give me some more bubbles. Because those didn't work. We can't find happiness in the bubbles, guys. They're not there. It's not there. We cannot find happiness pursuing it as an end in and of itself. So blessed is the man, not that pursues blessing, blessings. On the contrary, this begins actually with a negative. So verse 1, just to give you a quick overview, verse 1 is a negative, what not to do. Verse 2 is a positive, this is what you should do. This week we're going to focus on the negative. Sorry, it sounds like that. Next week we're going to focus on the positive, all right? Verse 1, blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now this word wicked is not just referring to people who do great wicked acts, like murderers, say. This is referring to a more general concept of someone who is structuring their life as if God doesn't exist. Another way to translate that word would be ungodly. They're, they're structuring the way, the, the way that they're thinking about life, the way that they're thinking about goals in life, the way that they're looking at their resources. And they're, they're living their life as if God just doesn't exist. These, these are people who are driven by fads, driven by trends, the basis of their life, the basis of their decision-making is, is fads. It's what's popular. We see this with young people in the city all the time, from every race, background, ethnicity, socioeconomic class. We look to the fads, we look to what's popular, and then that's how we define what we should do. That's how we define what decisions we should make. So the ungodly person then is someone who is just simply living life for fads and for popularity, structuring their life as if God doesn't exist. This is a person who laughs at trends 40 years ago. They laugh at fads 40 years ago. And they know, they're smart enough to know that the current trends and fads will be laughed at in 40 years. Yet this person still puts their hope and their trust in these trends, these fads, these ideas. So the psalm begins by saying, don't walk like that. Don't walk with the ungodly. Don't, don't, don't follow the advice don't take the suggestions from people who are structuring their life as if God doesn't exist. Don't listen to them. Stop listening to the celebrities. Stop looking to them for advice. Stop listening to the singers and the pop stars and the rappers. Stop looking to them for suggestions on how to live your life. Stop listening to the people around you who show no evidence of godliness. Happy, listen, happy, blessed is the man who does not listen to these people, who does not walk, does not take their advice, does not live life based on their suggestions. 
Secondly, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. These are those who find happiness in sin. Happiness in doing things that you know are wrong. That maybe they know are wrong. They delight in their sins. They've, they've found pleasure there. They've found happiness there. they found joy there. And they're delighting. They're, they're seeking happiness through their sin. Don't stand with them, he says. Blessed, happy is the man who does not stand with the sinners. There's no happiness there. There's no happiness there. It's all fading. And instead of going on about your life, instead of moving on with mission, instead of moving on with what God has called you to, instead of being a godly woman, man, single person, married person, parent, worker, instead of moving on with your eye on the goal, you stop and you stand and you linger and you loiter in the places where sinners Linger and loiter. Don't stand with sinners. I think of the story of the prodigal son. Do you know that story? Anybody? Prodigal son first goes out He takes his father's money, correct? He takes off, leaves town. And what does he do? In Luke chapter 15, where we find the story of the prodigal son, it says he squanders his wealth. He squanders his wealth. Why? We see this all the time. Seeking happiness in ways that sinners seek happiness. Lingering and loitering, standing around in the same places that sinners linger and loiter and stand around. This is what the prodigal son did. To find happiness, to find joy in the things of the flesh. One theologian commenting on this from the 1800s, all right, 150 years ago, Commenting on this, he said this. He said, Happy is the man who is not placing himself where sinners pass along or where they meet, listen to this, at the corners of the streets in a great city. Now think about how, this is 150 years ago, 150 years later in Baltimore, how applicable that is for us today. Don't stand on the corners, the quote-unquote corners whatever that might mean for you. One man who grew up in a, in a rough neighborhood, he said this, he, he said, my mom always told me to stay off the corners. And this is why. When you're standing on the corners, you think that the corner is your world. You think that that's all there is to this world. Get off the corner, he said. I wonder what that means in your life. I wonder what the corner is in your life. I wonder where you're standing and lingering and loitering. 
believing that this is where happiness can be found. Yet you're standing with sinners. Do not stand with sinners. And by the way, Christians, listen. The father, the father, when the prodigal son took off and left, and he's, the prodigal son now is squandering his wealth and reckless activity, and then what happens? He spends all of his money, and he's, he gets a job working with pigs, with the swine, and now he's sitting there hungry, looking at the food of the swine, and he decides, hmm, they're eating better than I. In this moment, he still chooses to remain with the swine for a season than to go back to the Father. In his mind, I I will not go back there. I'm still happier right here with the swine. Christians, listen, the Father never joined the Son with the swine. He never joined him in his activity. He waited very patiently. Do not stand with sinners. Do not link arms with those who are eating with the swine. Do not support them. Happy, blessed is the man who walks in the way of the wicked, or or, I'm sorry, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Now first, I want you to notice the imagery that's happening here. At first, this man is walking. When, when you first begin to delight in the ways of the world, when you seek happiness and joy through a, a, a worldly or fleshly understanding, at first, listen, it feels like walking. You feel like you're actually getting somewhere. It feels exciting. I'm going somewhere. I'm, I, I'm vibrant. This is vibrant. You feel enlightened. I'm done with that old stuffy like religion stuff. And I've been enlightened now to the ways of the world. And it feels exciting. And you actually feel like you are making progress. And there's movement. And there's things happening. And there's excitement and joy. You first are walking. But it's not long before you stop, and now you are standing. You see the progress here? The man is first walking, and then he moves to standing. Because it's not long before your soul grows stagnant. It's not long before you're standing, immovable, no longer dynamic, no longer going anywhere in life, just Simply a hedonist, enjoying the pleasures of the flesh, enjoying sin. And it doesn't stop there. You're walking, you're standing, and then it's not long before you sit down. I'm done. And look who's sitting down. It's the scoffers, the mockers, the scorners, the cynics. The people who have just given up on life. Like for them, nothing is beautiful. Nothing is profound. Nothing is worth living for. Nothing's worth dying for. Nothing is holy. Nothing is sacred. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's nothing worth looking at. 
Everything is a joke. All of life is a joke to them. Been there, done that. I've seen the end of it. The cynic, the mocker, the scorner. This is the end result. You give up on hope. You give up on life and everything is just a joke. He says, do not sit in the seat of the scorners, the scoffers, the mockers, those who have nothing to live for, those who have nothing to die for. There is no happiness in the seat of the mockers, the scorners, the scoffers. There's no happiness there. A man named Lee Maynard, he wrote a book called Crumb about his childhood in Crumb, West Virginia. And he was interviewed on the book, and, or primarily I should say interviewed on his childhood growing up in Crumb, West Virginia. Uh, and they asked him about religion. They asked him about his views of religion as a child. Amidst uh, stone-cold Presbyterian and Methodist churches, a backwards Baptist church that kicked him out of the service, and a Pentecostal church which he looked in the windows of and he was too afraid to walk in. These are his words. He said, it didn't taste, meaning the churches he saw, it didn't taste like I thought religion should taste like. And I didn't begin to understand what organized religion could be and perhaps should be until I left Crum and got down into the south and later on to the west. The interviewer asked this, what did you discover? Maynard replied, I discovered religion was joyful. The religion that I had seen practiced was not a joyful thing. Now listen, the world offers no true happiness. While at first it feels like you're going somewhere, you move, there's movement, there's excitement, it ends with the mockers and the scoffers. There's no true, real, lasting, eternal joy and happiness that's found in the world. What a travesty it would be if they could not find that in the church. What a travesty it would be if a man or a woman were to literally walk into this room, interact with us, and then walk out and not discover that there is great joy in this religion, in the Christian religion, the religion of the forgiveness and remission of sins. Guys, what a travesty it would be if someone walked out of here and said, I, did, I never knew that it was to be a joyful thing. Lord, we, we, we repent of our long faces, of our mumbles and our groans, we repent of our not greeting one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melodies in our hearts. That sounds like joy, doesn't it? We repent of allowing temporal worries of finances and, and some big things like children and jobs. We repent of allowing these things to rob us of joy true, lasting, spiritual, eternal joy that we will have for all of eternity. 
May we repent of these things. We repent of calling ourselves Christians, yet turning constantly to mind-altering substances as a cheap substitute for the fulfillment that the very Spirit of God can bring us. We repent of being joyless people. Or we repent of seeking joy in the way that the ungodly seek joy. Seeking joy, seeking satisfaction, seeking fulfillment in temporal things and being a very poor representation of Christ to the world around us. We are, in fact, not called to be a stuffy people, a joyless people. On the contrary, we as Christians, as people of the Bible, we are to be the happiest, most joyful people on this planet. I mean, think about it. God has forgiven you. Somebody give me a smile right now. <laughs> I know that's awkward. Yeah. We, we are to be the happiest people on this planet. Because while, while we have the same kind of temporal struggles that anyone else has, while we have these things, guys, we have the God of this universe on our side. Promoting us, loving us. So on the contrary, we are to be the happiest people on this planet. How is this possible? How then can we move from here to there? How can we move away from this constant long face that we carry and truly move to the place of true happiness and true joy? How is this possible? Well, the Bible might begin with a negative, which I said earlier. Well, it might begin with a negative. It doesn't end with a negative. You see, the, the, the negative at the very center of the scriptures that the Bible begins with is the fact that we need to repent. It's the fact that we are sinners. It's the fact that we are broken. That we are in need, in great need of a Savior. I mean, the, the Bible is the most realistic book out there. And so it begins with the state that we truly are, and that is a negative state. We are depraved. We are sinners. We are broken. We are eating with the swine, and we are enjoying it, at least trying to. And here's the thing. Let's think about the prodigal son. If the prodigal son never opened his eyes to the fact that he's eating with the swine, and the servants of his father are actually eating better than him, if he never opened up his eyes to the, to, the, to, to the state of his depravity, the prodigal son would have never found happiness. If you want to step, the first step toward true happiness, according to the Bible, is to open your eyes to your depravity, to your sin. Open your eyes to the reality that you are eating with the swine that you're seeking fulfillment in places that you will never find it. 
that you're seeking advice from people who are not structuring their lives as if God even exists. Open your eyes to these things. Repent. And believe. So it doesn't end with the negative, but it says and believe. Believe what? The gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news. The good news of what? It's the good news that Christ has taken your place among the swine. That Christ lived the life of righteousness for you. His death was indeed on your behalf. And his blood, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe the gospel. This is the son sitting with the swine, realizing that the servants of his father are eating better than he is. He opens his eyes to his depravity. He opens his eyes to his brokenness. And what does he do? Luke 15, he turns. Listen, repentance and and believing the gospel is a turn. It's a turn from the way of death to the way of life, the way of Cain to the way of Abel, the way of the world to the way of Christ. It's a turn back to the Father. I want you to look at the next verse in the, in the text here. Psalm 1 verse 2. And we're going to hit on this a whole lot more next week. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditates day and night. This is the Bible. This is the gospel. This is the way of Jesus. The happy man His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the Hebrew scholars say that word blessed in verse 1 is a uh, very forceful uh, interjection. So, So that means blessed really isn't a great translation of that word. It might be better translated. Oh, oh, the many happy, uh, the many joys, or oh, the great happiness of the man. Oh, how blessed this man actually is. Oh, how happy the man is who doesn't walk with the ungodly, who doesn't stand with the sinners, who doesn't sit in the seat of the scorners. Like, oh, the the many blessings, it's a plural word, the many, the the, the much happiness he has, the the many joys that he has. It's, It's massive, it's forceful, it's powerful. This man, his happiness, or this woman, her happiness is in the law of the Lord. It's in the pages of the Scriptures. It's in the Gospel. It's in the truth of the Gospel. So, so happiness then, happiness then is not found. 
at the end of the family rainbow. Or at the end of the marriage rainbow. Or at the end of the job rainbow. Happiness is not found there. Happiness is not found as a goal, as an end to itself. But happiness is a byproduct of the gospel, of a gospeled believer. With our eyes focused on Christ, happiness is a byproduct. Here's the irony of it. Here's the irony. You can't find true happiness until you stop looking for it. And you turn your gaze away from happiness and you put your gaze onto Christ. The irony is that's how you find it. That's how you find joy. This is the song from last week from Revelation 4 and 5. Remember the song that we will be forever singing in all of eternity? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain He's worthy of all honor and all glory and all power and all praise. And we sing it night and day, not because we have to, but because there's most joy there. We're happy to. As our eyes are fixed on the Lamb. Happiness, joy, real happiness, then comes. So happiness is not the end of happiness. You are not the end of your happiness. The crucified lamb is at the end of your happiness. He's there. And when we turn our gaze, when we turn our attention, when we turn our focus on to Him, I wonder who, who you've been listening to. I wonder who who you've been taking suggestions from on how to live this life, on how to organize your life, how to structure your life. I wonder who you've been taking advice from. I wonder who you've been standing with. I wonder who your closest friends are. I wonder who you've, who you've been sitting with. And I wonder if I wonder if you need to change your focus, your gaze, off of yourself, off of the flesh, off of happiness as a goal, and turn your gaze onto Christ. See here, this is, this is the, the, I want you to take heart, all right? My brothers and sisters, take heart. This fact right here, Christ did not come to save the satisfied. See, some of you have been searching for happiness. You've been searching for satisfaction. And the reality is, is where you're at right now, you might say, Joel, I have been in this maze and it's unending. And the reality of my life is that I'm lost. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what I'm looking to. I am lost. Take heart. 
Because Jesus did not come to save those who have found happiness. He did not come to save the satisfied, but Jesus came to save the lost. And you need to pray, God, I, my eyes are open to the fact that I am lost, that I'm eating with the swine, that I'm broken, that I am in great need, and I will never be rooted like a tree in and of my own power and my own strength, and I need you to save me. And I believe that Jesus' blood covers me and has forgiven me. And I find my greatest satisfaction gazing upon his face. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to leave this place with our gaze firmly fixed on you. God, we believe that our greatest satisfaction and hope in life cannot come through achieving satisfaction or as, as a goal in and of itself. We believe that as we focus our eyes on the Lamb, on our Messiah, that that is where our hope lies, that is where our satisfaction lies. God, fix our eyes this morning on Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.